0: Well, good morning, everyone. I uh, hope you're having a blessed uh, Saturday and a blessed week. Um, it's always a privilege uh, to be with you. And um, I am uh, praying that uh, things are going well with you in your life and in your ministries and in your daily routines and in your uh, roles that you're playing in the kingdom. Um Today's topic um, is going to be uh, a break between the many issues that we deal with, specifically what we've been talking about in the last couple of weeks related to Islam and Islamic theology and some of the ways that uh, uh, the Islamic uh, sources uh, view Christ. So we're going to take a a little bit of of a shift here and kind of tie it into um, uh, some of the issues that we're dealing with uh, lately in our own culture. And really, and specifically, I want to talk about many of the things that I uh, hear whenever I go to different places. Uh, People are concerned uh, because of uh, the political environment we're living in. Uh, People are uh, afraid uh, because of uh, terrorism and other things. Uh, People are worried uh, in relationship to some of the, um, uh, you know, immigrants and specifically Muslims and and so on and so forth, and and some also uh, taking a different approach. Uh, They're becoming more religious, more nationalist, and forgetting about our real identity and the fact that we are the followers of Christ. We represent God and the kingdom by our actions and everything that we do. And uh, unfortunately, uh, oftentimes, We leave God out of all of this. In other words, um, we do not keep God at the center of all of what we're doing, and therefore we lay our worries and our troubles on him, and let God be God, and let him be the one who handles all of our affairs. Um, You know, the election uh, or politics or which party uh, uh, is, uh, is doing this and which party is doing that, all of this actually uh, should be turned over to God. Let God be God. He's the one who handles everything. He, the one, he is the one who institutes governments and authorities. Our job is always to uh, obey his will, to pray for the governing authorities, to pray for peace. Uh, to ask God for wisdom and guidance to share with those in authority and to present him uh, to those around us uh, as the God of grace, the one that uh, needs and ought to be followed. And really, there is a passage that uh, the Lord laid on my heart today that I want to share with you, and it comes from Micah, and specifically Micah 6, verse 8, a passage that probably many of you have read and heard and studied before, and for instance, the NIV translate this passage as follows, speaking of God, he, meaning God, he has showed you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you to act justly, and love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God, and we will uh, look at a couple of other translations as well. But uh, who is Micah? Micah is, of course, one of those minor prophets, and he lived during the times of the following kings of Judah, Jotham, who lived between 750 until 732 uh, A.D., Ahaz, who lived between uh, uh, 735 to 713 um, uh, A.D., so there was some level of overlap here taking place, and Hezekiah, one of... uh, uh, Judah's best kings um, who live between 716 to 687. So you can tell that Micah and Isaiah overlap ministry-wise because Isaiah also uh, was present during Hezekiah's time. And you can go, of course, to Isaiah uh, uh, 36, 37, 38. You begin to read in there about the encounter, specifically in 37, I should say 37 to 39. You can read that uh, appendix in there. Uh, at the end of the first section of Isaiah uh, dealing with uh, Hezekiah. Uh, so Micah lived around that time. Uh, and it's interesting because Ahaz uh, would have been the time when the Assyrians came and uh, took the northern kingdom of Israel to exile. So they were tough times. Uh, there were a lot of uh, shifting political uh, alliances that are taking place. Even the people of God get entangled into that. So they were forming alliances with uh, uh uh, Egypt, for instance, uh, uh, as if uh, the nations are going to be their strength, as if they were placing their um, uh, trust in the nations. Uh, Hezekiah himself uh, did a, a big problem, uh, caused himself a problem when he received a delegation from the Babylonians, and he showed him around and showed him the wealth of the nation and took him to the temple. Later, of course, uh, Nebuchadnezzar came. And God basically handed the treasures of the uh, temple to his hand. And Isaiah at that time prophesied to Hezekiah that this is what's going to happen. And it's almost Isaiah's response was, well, okay, glad it's not going to happen in my time. Uh, So sometimes we look at issues in our life, and in this case in politics, and we assume that it's good that this is not taking place in my time, that I want to do whatever it takes to protect myself, but I really don't care what's going to happen tomorrow. See, brothers and sisters, we have to always think about those that will come after us. What kind of legacy are we going to leave for them? And we ought to think about God's purposes through our life. God's purposes do not stop by our death, by the way. In other words, His legacy doesn't stop just when my life ends because I am his servant, and I'm his fabulous, you know, so-and-so, that I do all that I can for him, but I don't really know who's going to carry this legacy, and I don't care who's going to come after me. As long as I do what I'm supposed to do, and things are just fine in my life, then that's okay with me. That's not the attitude that that we ought to have, of course. Everything that God places us into, uh, circumstances and many other things, uh, his intent is for his legacy, to continue on. He will always be there. His legacy and his promises continue through generations and will continue through generations. Therefore, we have to have the mind of God and think that what we do today will have an impact on tomorrow. Hezekiah didn't have that attitude. And later, the people of God paid a price because the Babylonian exile caused the southern kingdom also, uh, to be taken into exile. But how does this tie to Micah? Well, in Micah chapter 6, there is um, an accusations that are being raised here, and God uh, basically is presenting his case against his people. And if we were to look at the beginning of this chapter, we begin to see what's going on. So let's read uh, from verses one all the way to verse eight, and verse eight is the one that we are focusing on. I'm using the NIV right now, and it uh, basically the subtitle in your Bible would say the Lord's case against Israel. And literally, this particular section is almost like you're in a courtroom, and there is a judge, prosecuting attorneys, and there is the defendants. and And uh, in this case, Israel is the defendant, and so on, so on and so forth. But but let's see uh, the uh, what's going on. Stand up. First one says, "Stand up, plead my case. Uh, make. Ca- uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, plead my case before the mountains. Let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear you mountains, the Lord's accusation. So the Lord is talking, and He is calling attention right now to things around us to testify or be a witness." of these accusation, and the charges that will be laid right now. What are they? Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth, for the Lord has a case against His people. He is lodging a charge against Israel. Starting verse 3. My people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you Also Aaron and Miriam, my people, remember what Balak king of Moab plotted and what Balaam son of Beor answered. Remember your journey from Shedem to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. The righteous act of the Lord. So this, this is what's going on. The Lord is bringing his case against his people, and he's trying to remind them of the wonderful things that he has done for them. So first, he's calling our attention in verses 1 to 3, and second, he's calling our remembrance to the things that he has done. He rescued us from slavery. He took us out of the dark world and he gave us a deliverer and a savior. In this case, it's Christ, the Lord, who came and offered himself as a sacrifice. And he blessed us despite what the, Lord, the world might be attempting to do to plot against us and to cause curses to come upon us. Yet the Lord says, I was with you, sheltering you. I heard you. I came to rescue you. And I will be with you in your midst, in your presence and I will never leave you or forsake you. This is the attitude, brothers and sisters, that we as believers ought to have. We cannot have worldly attitude. We cannot act like we're afraid of this or that. We cannot act as if we want to run away from the people that God brings to our path, be it as as it may, whether they are believers or non-believers, whether they are Uh, from, from our nation or from another nation. God is orchestrating things that oftentimes it's hard for us to understand. But as long as we are in line with what he's doing, he will reveal to us his purposes. Sometimes most of what he wants, all of what he wants, or a portion of what he wants, or maybe none of these things. But as long as we line up with him, things should be fine. And then, in verse 6, we hear now the response. Here is what the people's response was to the Lord. Instead of remembering these things that the Lord has done for them, their response was this way, religious to the core. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and ten thousand rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? You see, oftentimes we look at things that are happening in our life and we wonder what else should we do to make God happy with us and protect us and give us the government that we want and the authority that we seek and uh, make things flexible in our life and we get all these benefits and the peace that we desire and take away from us persecution. It's almost like we're negotiating and bargaining with God. Okay, what else should we do for you, Lord? You know, Should we do this? Should we do that? And we forget that God is already with us. He's not negotiating anything with us. He gave us grace that we don't even deserve. And instead of like going along with him and being patient and waiting upon him, we want really to rescue ourselves as soon as possible. Forgetting that he already rescued us. He told us already in verses 1 to 5, he did the rescuing already. He did the blessing already. He gave us what we need, not what we desire. He gave us what He knew would be best for us, not what we think is best for us. So you read verses 6 and 7, and you begin to see that it's all about religious activities. That's pretty much what we think we ought to do. This is what we assume God wants. Give this offering, do this ritual, uh, follow this, do that, and oftentimes... Uh, Out of this we become more dogmatic, we become more legalistic, and that's how we divide instead of unite, because we have our own ways of uh, trying to justify or even understand or even uh, discern what exactly will be pleasing to the Lord. And we ought to really remember that the biggest thing we ought to do is to pray for Our people, for our nation, for our government, pray for repentance of our sin, that the Lord may heal our land, that the Lord may shine His face upon us, that He would give us that peace that surpasses all understanding, that this is the way we would represent Him before any governing authorities now and in the future, that we would leave His legacy behind to our people, that we would labor. That his grace be known throughout the earth. And God's answer is classic. That's verse 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. This is God saying this, O mortal man, basically, because the Hebrew has the word for man, Adam. He has shown you, O mortal man, what is good. Notice who's showing you. He has shown you. God is saying, I don't want you to follow someone, follow me, follow my example, to receive the answer to your question, what should you do? He has shown you, O mortal man, what is good and what does the Lord seek of you, require of you, ask of you, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly, With the Lord, you don't do these things with someone else, you do them with the Lord, hand in hand with Him. The ESV translated this He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love and love kindness. That's Hesed, loving kindness, the love that is inseparable. The love that only God can give to us, that the grace, basically, you can say, to love grace and to walk humbly with your God. This is the answer to our problem. This is what God desires of us, to help us, basically, do the things that he asks us to do. And we really ought to look at this and ask ourselves these kind of questions. So, what is it then that we need to do? You know, the Lord says that He's not asking us for rituals. He's not asking us to do certain specific things in order for us to feel like we're qualified. All He's asking us to do is to walk with Him in a certain fashion. To love justice, okay? Loving justice for others, Because you cannot be a just person unless your justice is basically exhibited through others. Not only to love justice also and to act justly, but at the same time to love grace and to show grace to one another and to others. This love that even us are not worthy of This grace that we receive that we do not deserve is the same kind of grace God expects from us towards others around us. Even those that we disagree with, even those that we feel like we are afraid of, even those that we feel like we dislike, and to walk with humbleness and humility. So along the lines of what I'm talking about, if we were to take a look at treatment of immigrants, for instance, which is a big issue right now. What does the Word of God tell us about them? I think I shared this before, but it's worthy to, that we share it once again. Leviticus 19, verses 33 and 34, give us a glimpse of what God expects from us in terms of treating others justly, in terms of treating others in loving kindness, with grace, and in term of showing humbleness and humility. And you'll notice these right now in this passage. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. Justice. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. Humility and humbleness, making others ahead of us, bringing him basically to a place where they feel equal to us. And you shall love him, as yourself, grace towards them. That's one of the passages that the Lord gave to us in his scripture to teach us about how we ought to treat others. In Matthew 25, 35, the Lord actually made an amazing comparison here between a group of people that treated him well and those that did not. He says, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. The Lord is saying it's about loving kindness towards others, because when you do this to the least of those, brethren, you've done it to me. In Exodus 22, verse 21, we read the following. You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, justice, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Remember, brothers and sisters, many of those the Lord is bringing to our path because they didn't have the chance to hear the gospel. They are still in bondage. They are still living in a dark world and they need rescuing. And God is saying, you are the one that will show them that loving kindness to rescue them from that bondage. Malachi three five teaches the following, Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be swift witness against the sorcerers, against the uh, adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the uh, fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Brothers and sisters, there's a lot of warnings here for us to remember how we ought to treat others whether they are believers or non-believers, whether they are Americans or non-Americans, whether they're Muslims or non-Muslims, God is asking us to watch our behavior and to make certain that His justice, His loving kindness, and His teaching to us of humbleness and humility and the model that He Himself placed for us on the cross is to be practiced among those that are around us and lay aside religious thinking and practice basically grace in our daily daily life and daily routine. Deuteronomy 27.19 says the following, Cursed be anyone who perverts the justice due to the sojourner, to the resident alien, to the immigrant, To the foreigners, this is what the Scripture, brothers and sisters, is talking about. The fatherless and the widow are others as well. Our time is almost up, so I'm going to close with this passage in Hebrew 13.2. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares what's the point behind all of this, brothers and sisters? And if you're joining us, uh, you're listening to Let Us Reason, and this is your host, Al-Fadi. The point behind today is to bring us back to the Scripture and the Word of God and give us a time to pause for a second from all of these worries around us and all of these bad news and reports and investigations and the ties to this group and to that group and and in this and doing that and, and we get entangled with all of this and want to follow this policy or that policy and we we'll forget that the lord is a lord of love and grace thank you for listening as always you can always go and listen to all of these archive shows on our website cirainternational.com that's c i r a international.com uh, also on iTunes, let us reason and soundclouds until we meet again I am your host, Al Fadi, and I look forward to interacting with you now and in the future. Lord bless you.